Well, everyone loves a good story, right? Everyone loves a good story. If I was to ask you, probably most of you have a favorite movie, some movie that comes to mind. If I say, what's your favorite movie? And the movie you enjoy is probably got a good story attached to it, some narrative that you're really drawn to. And if I asked you, what do you look for in a good story? When you think about that movie or a book that's, that's important to you, what do you look for in that good story? Here's some basic plot uh, twists and some elements that make up good stories. What do you look for in a good story? Do you look for conflict or do you look for action? Action adventure? Are you looking for drama or, as I said, plot twists? Maybe you like a book that's filled with suspense or love or uh, maybe there's sacrifice. There's always heroes and villains in our stories. You know, I'm not going to ask you to show up hands, but let me just ask you, think about your movie, uh, your favorite movie, right? It probably has a conflict in it, right? Your favorite movie, if you think about it, there's some kind of conflict or some kind of tension. And most likely there's heroes and there's villains, right? If you think about that, because all of the movies, all of the stories that we give ourselves to, they all have these elements of conflict and heroes and villains. We're drawn to great stories. We're drawn to them. But you know, there's one grand sweeping story that rises up above all the rest. It's a spectacular story because it's true. It's based in history and it's true and it, it, it addresses the entirety of humankind. There's one story that is just above all the rest and that's the story contained in the Bible. What is fascinating to me is when I say these words, when I say to you that the Bible, it just surpasses all the rest of the stories. What's fascinating to me, and I don't know why this is, but people just say, oh, the Bible? That's just the Bible. That's not like this action-adventure movie that I just watched. That's not like that romance movie that we just watched. It's not like that book that I just read that I loved over the summer. It's just the Bible. We don't see the Bible as this grand sweeping story that rises above all the rest. And because we don't see it that way, we're missing what's actually contained within the pages of Scripture. If we don't see the Bible as the grand book that surpasses all others, we are missing stuff that's going on inside the Bible. Look at this list again, this list that I have for you. Look at this list. Which of these elements do you see in the biblical story? When you read the Bible, what do you see of these elements about God and his relationship with human beings? Can you think of some specific examples where the biblical story involves drama and action? There's a plot twist. There's, there's suspense and there's love and, and there's heroes and villains and sacrifice. Friends, in the early pages of the Bible, Cain murders Abel. Abraham lies. Jacob cheats. Moses kills. David commits adultery and then he kills King Herod is jealous of Jesus so much so that he wipes out an entire generation. Religious leaders are lusting after power at every turn, and the political powers in every age are corrupt. You don't have to look hard to see these elements in the work of the Bible. Now, the Bible has been called the greatest story that's ever been told. But what is it about that story? What is it this, about this book the Bible's made up of 66 different books, if you didn't know this. 66 different books make up the Bible from various authors across hundreds of years. And the Bible is as diverse as you can possibly get, and yet from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there is a singular story. There is a singular thread throughout the entire Bible. 
about God's people, about conflict and drama, and there's a huge plot twist that makes an eternal difference in every life on this planet. What is that story? That's what we're here to find out. Over the next three weeks, we are going to see that the entirety of the Bible and the best that life has to offer each and every one of us can be summed up in six words. Six words. God, our sins, pain, everyone, life. Today, we're going to look at God, our. Now, we're faced with a challenge like what I'm proposing to you, that we can see the entirety of of the Bible wrapped up in six words. Sometimes the best way for us to explore that question is to take a step back, right? To take a look from a 10,000-foot view, to get the big picture, so to speak. And there's an author, a speaker, a performer. His name is Propaganda. And Propaganda has created a spoken word video using these six words. And he tells the story of the gospel, the story of God, the story of Jesus, the story of humanity, and he sums it all up in six words. He explains this in six words. It's a powerful video that we're going to watch a couple of times through this message series. Each week, we're going to come back to it because there's so much packed into this, and I don't want us to miss anything. So uh, let's start by taking a look at Propaganda's uh, poem, Life in Six Words. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched, Thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept, so cold. It's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny, our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it and how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding besides trying to prove God is like deep in a lion, homie. It'll need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet, the problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. 
an asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection, but silly us trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says is part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back, you owe him. Eternally separated, and the only way to fix it is someone die in your place, and that someone gotta be perfect, or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness. His death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in Him, and Him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. From the beginning to the end, God, yes, God, is at the center of human history. This past week, I saw a video on YouTube. It was one of these man-on-the-street type videos where a guy went out and interviewed people. And it was a Christian apologist, a guy who defends the faith and talks about his faith in Jesus. And he was interviewing two atheists that he'd come across. And I really liked the video because it was very respectful. Both parties were very respectful. They both, there was some give and take, and they were learning from each other. And they were both trying to work this out. And at one point, the apologist, the Christian, asked the couple if they believed in God, and the woman replied this way. She said, well, I think there's a higher power or something like that, but not a person, not some dude, right? No, no God like that. To which the apologist said, well, okay, do you think that your higher power is clever? I mean, for example, whatever your higher power is, could it create something out of nothing? Could it create a giraffe or a monkey, a fish, a tree, a person? 
does your higher power have the ability to create, was the question. And she thought about that, and she didn't really have an answer. And as the conversation unfolded, the Christian apologist presented to the atheist this idea that we live in a world, we live in a world that is not just guided by a higher power, but it's been created by someone or by something with the power to create. We live in a world that's created by someone or something with this power to create. Now, obviously not everyone believes and subscribes to this belief, but, but logically there is a case to be made that something can't be created out of nothing. That something can't be created out of nothing. Something existed before life was created. And the Bible tells us that that is God. God created us to be with him. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. And if you read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you see that God created all of the universe and everything in it. He created everything, including the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve with a purpose. He called them to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth with their offspring. He gave them the mission of taking care of the earth and tending to the garden of evil. These are all the things we read in the first two chapters of the Bible. God created human beings to be in relationship with him. The first people regularly communed with God in the garden. And they had sheer bliss. I mean, sheer happiness, incredible happiness. And they had unadulterated joy. This was God's design from the beginning, to create people, to put them in the garden, to be in relationship with him, and to have incredible joy. And the same way that God created Adam and Eve is the same way God creates every human being. He's made us to be in relationship with him. One of the most celebratory psalms that we have of praise in the Bible is Psalm 100. And Psalm 100 is literally a psalm of praise. And uh, in verse 3, this is what it says. It says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. God has created us for relationship. His original plan was that you and I are in relationship with him as much as we're in relationship with each other. He's created us to be in harmony with heaven and with all of the earth, but that plan was disrupted by evil, by an evil act thousands and thousands of years ago. And this is where we move to that next word, our our sins, yes, our sins, separate us from God. I've always liked the, the Peanuts cartoon by Charles Schultz. When I was a kid, I always remembered that when the, the funny papers came, I'd always try and turn to the pages, and I'd always look for Charlie Brown as one of the, the ones that I would read. I'm not a fanatic, but I am a fan of Charlie Brown, if you put it that way. And In later years, I've really come to appreciate and enjoy Pigpen. I've really appreciated Pigpen. Do you know Pigpen? Pigpen's the character that always has a, a dust ball of dirt and grime all around him. He just attracts dirt wherever he goes. You can clean up Pigpen, and two frames later in the cartoon, he's dirty as he was in the first frame of the cartoon. And when I think about our predicament, I think about Pigpen. God, who is holy, Whatever holiness might mean to you or the image that you get, I think of perfection, but you think of holy, set apart, can't have anything bad in him. God who is holy with no blemish is over here. And, and you and I are like pig pen. 
we're covered with dirt. We're covered with the stain of sin. Our dirt covers us every day. No one is righteous. No one, not one. Try to go a day without sinning. Just try to do it. It's not possible. No matter who you are, we can't do it. You can't be held up against God's perfection as a human being. There's nothing that you can do to earn that perfection as we're talking about with God and his holiness. When we hold ourselves up, we, we fail against God's standard. Every single one of us. We fail against that standard. And so here's our dilemma. God created us to be with him in relationship. From the story of Genesis, we see that. From the very beginning, perfect God creates perfect people, and they are together in relationship. But then we got in our heads that we could be like God. Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil. God says, hey, listen, you can eat of any fruit in the tree and, and anything in the garden, but just don't eat from the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that, that, that plant. But they didn't listen. Adam and Eve followed the advice of Satan. They took a bite of whatever that fruit was, and they disobeyed God. That act of disobedience allowed sin into the world. In that moment, humanity turned its back on God, we turned away from God, and we've been paying the price ever since. Our choice led to our separation from God. And it is our pride that got us into trouble. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says this. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Friends, spiritually speaking, Adam and Eve died the day they ate that fruit in the garden. Their souls became immediately tarnished by sin and by selfishness. And as a result, their offspring, and that includes you and me, their offspring were born sinful and selfish. Like pig pen. It's always on us. There's nothing we can do about it. Our decision to turn away from God, our decision to turn away from God pollutes our souls. Our pride drives a wedge between us and God even to this day. From Adam and Eve until this day, we became like pig pen. We can't get the dirt and grime off no matter what we do, no matter where we go, it always falls, follows us. Even if you tried not to sin, which we're going to see next week, is, it's not possible for us not to sin. But even if you tried not to sin two frames later in life, you're going to be covered with the dirt and the grime. It's always with us. But fortunately for us, that's not the end of the story. God, our, is just the beginning. These first two words are so important for us to digest. God is at the center of the story, of human story, and our sin separates us from God. We have to believe these words. We have to sit with them and understand them in order for the rest of the story to make sense. There's more to the story. There's so much more to this story. And when we're finished, this story is going to bring life for all who believe. But to understand the story, we have to sit for a while with the idea that life starts and ends with God. From the beginning of time and even before, God loves you. 
You are not here by accident. And God has made you to be good. So it's okay to see yourself as pig pen. You don't have to be defensive against that. It's okay to understand that we are in this place. It's okay to understand that your sin separates you from God because God isn't done with you yet. And there's more to this story. So this week, I'm going to ask you to reflect on your belief. What is your belief of God as creator? Spend time sitting with that idea this week. What is your belief of God as creator? What does it mean to you that God created you and God wants to be in relationship with you? And then realize that you are, one, a sinful person, and your sin keeps you separate from God. Understand that our sin keeps us separate. But even though that is part of your story, even though those statements are true, your story is still being written, and God is not done with you yet. That's not the end of the story. God's not done with us. And that's what we're going to pick up next week when we explore these concepts of life in six words. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this gospel presentation. I thank you for propaganda sharing with us life in six words. And God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to uh, take the time to look at ourselves this week and to look at understanding how, God, you've created us. You want to be in relationship with us. You love us more than we could ever understand. And Lord, if we can get our minds around that, if we can start at that place, then as we look to the understanding of our sin separates us from you, that is a very real situation for us to be in. And yet, Lord, we hold on to hope that that's not the end of the story. We are not forever doomed because of that fact. It's just the reality of where we are. Lord, I thank you for your story that is woven throughout the gospel, throughout the, throughout the Bible. Lord, I thank you for the, the story of love and how you have always been about uh, creating us to be with you in relationship. And we pray all of this today in Jesus' name.